Welcome to The Visible Leader, the podcast that challenges conventional leadership and inspires you to create a workplace culture that empowers your team. Join me as I talk to thought leaders and change makers about practical ways to apply new learning and rethink the status quo. Get ready to become a visible leader in your organization. Thank you so much, Philippa, for agreeing to be part of my podcast. This is a bit long awaited. We've had a couple of goes, uh, but it's really nice to actually sit down and have this conversation because I am super excited about this subject. And I know I asked on LinkedIn and LinkedIn knows and there were questions that you've got to answer. So I hope you look forward to doing that. Yeah, definitely. And thank you for asking. I'm really looking forward to, to speaking with you. Good. So I know you from way back, but when I found out about Maiden and self-managed teams, I was super nosy. And I thought, what the hell? I need to know more about that. So this was several years ago now. And I so I hung out with you and I just sort of sat in meetings and watched you all and thought, wow. And I, I thought, wow, this is amazing. It really led me down the way of thinking about how to distribute leadership and how to change decision making. But the self-managed teams piece is quite an investment in a business and a, and a big change. And I suppose at that point, I did wonder how you deal with a crisis, like like how that would look and how you will scale this. Is it is it possible? So thankfully, the world, it did answer that and it gave us a pandemic. <laughs> so we got to see what that crisis looked like. And also you have grown and you've been a co-author in a book about the journey. So First of all, obviously, there's people out there that have not heard of Maiden. Who are Maiden? What do you do? Okay, that's a good place to start. So Maiden, we are an established um, SME, small to medium-sized enterprise. 130 of us around about now based in Bath um, across two offices. And we produce health tech mainly for the NHS in mental health, um, a digital care record. And we pride ourselves on our purpose of um, changing what's possible for clinicians and patients. Um, So we support people who deliver mental health care with um, a software platform that helps them to to manage those caseloads um, in efficient and effective ways. Nice, thank you. I do want to hear about the journey you went on to make this happen. But I think the question that sort of came to me was, what was the problem that having self-managed teams was going to solve? Like the challenge with traditional hierarchy, because I presume before that you were fairly traditional hierarchical company. Yeah. um, So there was a period of time as Maiden was growing where it did start to go down a more traditional route. And it it, when it started and it was small and there was a handful of employees like many startups, it is very dynamic and there's not much hierarchy and bureaucracy. So I had quite a typical kind of starting point in that respect. And as it grew and as our software development teams grew, they started to um, sort of recognise they wanted to meet the customer needs 
faster. So we're developing the product and looking to sort of release iterations of that. And one of the problems that was, you know, coming to the fore at that point was about how to get the the releases out to the customer quicker. Um, And uh, we cover this a little bit in in the book, sort of where were our roots of self-managing. And we can identify that really it was from what's called the agile movement. Um, So this is very well established in um, software companies. um, And it's a particular approach to um, to project management. And at the time, the software development team that we had, they went off on their their agile training um, and they brought back a lot of the self-management principles um, that the agile project management uh, methodology sort of enshrines, really. And the starting point of that is about autonomous self-managing teams. So for, for us that we can, you know, we can really point to some um, quite um, clear routes to, to where self-managing came from for, for Maiden. And, you know, that that's probably not too unusual. But where it did start to look a bit more unusual for Maiden was when it had gone so well in the software development teams and it was, you know, really helping to release software faster for the customers the um, software development teams were more engaged in problem solving and, and, and with each other, you know, it became a lot more vibrant a workplace that, you know, we saw this is a, a, a really interesting opportunity to, to see how this would work with, for the rest of the business, for the non-software development teams. Um, and what was happening as the organization was growing is, and again, it was sort of following quite a typical route into hierarchy. And there was three middle managers that were team leaders and then sort of, you know, heading up those different parts of the company. Um, and uh, two of the directors at the time, Chris and Ali, were having a bit of a conversation about sort of how they wanted to, to grow Maiden um, and shared their misgivings with each other about hierarchy and bureaucracy and mm. and sort of said, wonder if, you know, what we've done or, you know, what the software development teams have done, could that work for the rest of the business? Um, and so that was where they, they really sort of started to, I would say, follow a, a different track um, and really embrace and embed self-managing across the whole organisation. Lovely. And at what point did you did you come into that journey? So I joined the company in 2016. The software development teams had um, started their agile project management methodology and training and what have you in 2013. So they were it was quite well established in the software development teams. And then it had been released or rolled out or kind of introduced to the rest of the business during the early parts of 2016. So I'd come in um, a few months after it was um, it had been sort of adopted by the rest of the business. And what was, you know, quite interesting at that moment in time is the organization of always we've always been data driven. You know, that is something mm-hmm. that is at the heart of what we do and also how we do things. Um, And so we've always run a regular staff survey um, that covers things like engagement and, you know, satisfaction as an employee with the business. And they ran the staff survey towards the end of 2016. And it came back as not great. You know, in fact, you know, looking back over the many years that that the survey had run, it came back as some of the worst results that, that the business had ever had. And that gave us 
at the time some really interesting pause for thought because the self-managing aspect had gone so well with the software development teams the the business was expecting it to go as well with the Mm. rest of the teams and what the survey was telling us is that that wasn't what was happening um so that ended up being sort of my first um sort of area that I worked on when I came to Maidon was looking at this um, staff survey and supporting the company to say, well, well why isn't this working as well? And, and you know, what what do we need to, to look at to uh, to improve things? And uh, yeah, so that, yeah, that's kind of where I came into the business and, and where we were in that journey of, of self-management. Mm, quite a nice little uh, chunky issue to get your teeth into, Philippa. It was, it was, as, as you know, because you've known me for quite some time, the, the you know, organisational behaviour, people at work, you know, this is my passion area. And, and so it mm-hmm. really was a very interesting area to get my teeth stuck into, but also in a very different way, because the whole point was this needed to be self-managing. So you can't then go, well, hold on a minute, this has gone wrong and that's not quite working. And you, you know, pull your project management levers to make things happen Mm. because we wanted to tackle self-managing in a self-managing way. So we kind of set ourselves the the meta problem, if you like, of how do we do this without resorting to, uh, you know, a command and control approach? Yeah, yeah. Top down implementation of (laughs) self-management. Teams doesn't really work. I've never really considered that before. This is what yeah. we need to do. Yeah. Right. So love that. Love the love the kind of like you started it, had a bit of a dip. Yeah. Uh so just just talk talk to me about what kind of probably high level, because I imagine now it's been a while and you'll have had lots of different stages of, of where this went, but just to understand what you had to actually do physically in the business to shift from hierarchical to self-managed and then when there was this dip what did you do so the okay so the shift um obviously touched a little bit on the for the software development teams and how they adopted agile methodology and were up and running quite quickly so for the rest of the business the uh, the real kind of watershed uh, moment was a staff day that we held in November 2016. Um, and that had, uh, was a culmination of a series of workshops where we had really dug into the values of the business. So, you know, we, we talk quite a lot about some of the pillars of our ways of working um, and the values would be one of those pillars. So this was a piece of work that had been done over a handful of years, you know, and it had emerge from the business in terms of what are the values so that would be the first thing I would say is you know we've we really kind of took a look at some of the underlying and underpinning um things that make made and what it is and you know most organizations will be able to point to their values or their ethos or their culture you know some sort of underpinning um part of of who they are as an organization and from the the value, well, we call them come to call them the values workshops. We asked everybody in the company um, a couple of key questions: Where are we working well by our values, um, and how do we know? You know, what evidence can we point to? And where are we not living well and working well by our values? And what we did there was we generated a lot of data again um, about 
if it's not working well, what could we do differently? And that was what we took to the staff survey. So the information about what wasn't going so well got generated by every employee. And then what we wanted to do to fix some of these issues, because we were able to come around it as a whole company, we started to think about what the solutions to those would be. And we had to still shape the staff day. You know, we still had to give it structure. And, um, you know, it's not like you can just have a free for all. You know, you still need to put some frameworks in place. So what we use is we borrowed, again, something from the uh, world of Agile, which is um, stories, which is just written as a way to say, you know, as a maiden employee, I would like to know X, Y, and Z, so that I can deliver my work well. You know, that's a very basic example. So what we did at that staff day is we asked people to engage with the areas that they felt they wanted to work on the most. And so that generated some solutions that we then took back to the business after the staff day or some potential solutions that people were already feeling quite engaged to work on. So I would say that probably points to one of the things that we do as often as we possibly can and quite differently is there's a lot of self-selection. So that generates a lot of uh, motivation um, and how that has then played out in the long run is uh, working groups. So working groups, task and finish groups, when somebody spots an issue in the business that they feel passionate about working on, they can put their hand up and say, I've spotted this issue does anybody else want to work with me on this? And we come around working groups um, and task and finish groups to, to try and solve the, the issues that the business has in that way. So that's, that's probably one very tangible thing mm-hmm. I can point to. Of, of something. I mean, it, it really points at engagement, doesn't it? And it's, it's to something people struggle with across the board. I mean, I don't like to go to the automatically the negative, but it all I feel like all the questions I I actually put a question on LinkedIn, like I said, and I got these questions, and it is always like, what happens if you know? Yeah. So I was sort of thinking when you said that, um, do you get the same people that come forward? Do you notice that pattern? Is that is that dynamic? Does it work, or is there anything in that with the engagement of a sort of self-selected group that? Is problematic. We just basically want to get to the problems, Philippa. We're not, <laughs> you know. Do you know what I mean? It's like, when does it not work? Yeah. No, but I mean, I love, I love it. Is I love that concept, and I just really want to get under it a little bit. Yeah. And do you know what? We really appreciate those questions because one of the things that we identified when we were trying to work in this way is there isn't much out there, or there wasn't at the time, it is getting better now, but there isn't much help and information out there that tells you what some of the issues are. And, Mm. you know, you do want a bit of a warts and all look at this because it isn't going to be plain sailing. And that's what, you know, we've uh, chosen to kind of structure our book around those questions. So we know, Mm -hmm. you know, people want to understand, you know, what about when things go wrong or, you know, what's not great about this? So don't mind those kind of questions at all. So the question was, do you find the same people uh, turning up for those working groups? There was definitely a period of time where that was the case, where you probably did get an overrepresentation of a few people. So at Maiden, we keep very good records of how people are spending their time. 
But it's all self-accountable because people are accountable to their team and the work they need to complete in what we call sprints, which is two-week patterns of work. Um, people are you know, invited to manage their time well. So if you started as an individual to think, oh my goodness, I'm spending all my time in working groups and none of my time doing my day job, you know, you're asked to kind of question yourself or your team. If your team is noticing that that's happening for you, then the team provides those checks and balances to say, is the balance of your work correct? And I think probably some of what also sets that uh, right is because of the variety of working groups. So you might get some people that are particularly drawn to working on the working groups that maybe are to do with our way of working, like decision making. Um, but then you've got another set of working groups that are around things like accessibility, diversity and inclusion, also technical working groups. So what we found over time is it evens out and there is something you know that, that appeals to people across the board. Yeah, yeah. And I think the the bit in there is like, you'll have some people that go, oh, my God, I'm always on these groups. And I, I can see that. But then there's other sense of, oh, I love being on these groups, because I love doing that kind of stuff. And actually at the sacrifice of, of what but we, 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 we circle back to self managing teams, mm -hmm. self managing that conversation, which I think a lot of people will be going, God, how does that work? I mean, before you answer that one, Let's just take a step back yeah. and just go, okay, so what did you actually do? You did the workshop, you, you got clear about the values, you had that agile. What about the managers that were there? What what happened to them and their status and yeah. how did that look? Yeah. Um, so at the time, there were, uh, there were only three. So we were still quite small and each of them had their own sort of journey. I think one of them left the business anyway. They'd gone to a different job. Um, then one of them in particular, and actually she's another co-author in the book, she was on maternity leave. And she met up with the director as part of their kind of, you know, return to work. Um, and the director said, when you come back to work, you might find that things are a little bit different. And we would love to speak to you about something called coaching. Um, and I'll return to that word of, you know, some of the pillars of our ways of working. Um, coaching has become another one of those pillars. Mm. So what happened with, with her journey, she came into the business as a, a, a manager, actually a marketing manager, and she has traveled a path that has taken her into coaching. And she is now an ICF accredited coach. And she absolutely loves it. Um, and she tells her story in the book. And, and there's uh, mm. so, some blogs and put, um, on, on the Maiden website that sort of uh, will take you through her journey in a bit more detail. But that's not to say, you know, some people say, well, haven't you just made all the managers coaches then? not the case. So what we've done is we've created a coaching program and anybody in the business can train to be a coach and anybody in the business can ask for coaching support. And we know that is quite different to many of the coaching models um, of a more typical organization where it's often coaching is offered to the brightest stars or the mm. people with the 
management potential or whatever it might be. But actually, we've taken that universal um, approach to coaching. You can't become a coach unless you've had the training because you recognize that it is a particular skill. But you can anybody can ask um, for the coaching support. Um, So this, yeah, this is what's happened is people's jobs and careers have changed tack, have taken different paths, and they've had a much greater hand in shaping those paths and those tracks. So your um, marketing manager, who now is ICF accredited, which is awesome, is she, it was a she, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Should we name her? We can. I don't think she'd mind. Her name's Michelle. She's awesome. <laughs> Michelle. Um, so when so now Michelle's an ICF accredited coach. How much of her job is marketing? Is she is she moved away from doing marketing? Is she really now focused on coaching? She's now focused on coaching. She will still get called on from time to time to help her marketing colleagues. You know, she still gets to use her marketing um, skills and background mm-hmm. for the, the you know, the, the, the needs of the business um, on a case by case basis. But again, she manages her time accordingly. Her main um, sort of area that she is expected to deliver on and her main passion area is around the coaching. Um, and so, as I say, she runs that program. She um, supports us all as individual coaches. She is now also training to be um, team coach. So, yeah, she's she's very much her heart and her, you know, delivery is in that area. But mm-hmm. that's not to say that, you know, and and actually the marketing team have, of course, grown and changed in that time. And they've, you know, they've brought on more people. So, you know, it's it's evolved and emerged. And I would say that's probably how career growth and progression now now generally happens at Maiden is there's a lot more evolution and emergence and people are encouraged to you know figure out what their path is. Another couple of questions I was thinking about were so you you've got directors so is that a form of hierarchy like just just wondering about that as as how that works what that looks like yeah yes so we do have directors we now have a team of four um it when I joined the business it was a team of three we've grown a director team by one in the last six years and yes I would this is a hierarchy um situation we say, as we sort of kind of say in the book, you've caught us out. Yes, there is a bit of hierarchy. We are as flat as we feel we could possibly be at this stage in uh, Maiden's kind of growth as a business. So what you have is the four directors have a particular role to fulfill in the business as any other team and any other individual do. And their role, the role of the directors, as we've um, sort of worked our way through in Maiden, has a four-part sort of shape to it. Their job is to set direction, set expectation, and then we have a bit of a debate about whether the third part is whether they should be getting out of the way 
and let everybody else get on with their jobs or whether they need to lean in and support because they have incredible experience and insight you know to bring to the rest of the business and actually obviously what happens is it has to be a blend of the two sometimes Mm. you know the directors need to be involved and sometimes they need to let the teams get on and do their sorry do their stuff and then the final part is to seek assurance because at the end of the day we are a limited company registered at company's house there are you know legal requirements as anybody running their own business knows that you know as a company you have to make sure that you do those things so the directors fulfill that role for maiden and in that inherently becomes um you know a a, a hierarchical step if you like. Um, And what is also the case is they are the only people that can sign an employment contract. So they are the only people that can sign that, um, you know, so there is still the employer employee relationship that exists. So self-managing, you know, yes, definitely flat, flat as we can be at this um, size and scale of the organization. But there is a, there is um, some elements of hierarchy in, in that. Yeah, we'll let you off. Yeah, yeah. And but this actually this points to an important point about choosing how you work. Is we don't work in this way because it's a fad or a fashion or it's all the rage. It's about choosing the ways that you work to best suit what you are trying to do as a business. And where we've identified that really um, supports us is in terms of being innovative and delivering great customer service. So we really lean into that self-managing principles. Some people call it new ways of working or progressive ways of working. However you want to describe it, it is is it has to have it's not an end in its own right. It's mm-hmm. a means to an end. And we yeah. always try and keep that in mind. There are always choices mm-hmm. you're making. Yeah. No, it's very pragmatic, isn't it? It's like if you had to do something that was away from that ethos because it was the right thing to do, then it is the right thing to do. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you some questions that have been posed by my community. Okay. So this one's Saira Ganji, and she asks, how do workplace investigations Things like um, allegations of discrimination, harassment, violence, misconduct, or a toxic work culture get mm-hmm. dealt with in a managementless structure. Okay, so that's a great question, um, and thank you for your um, yeah for, for for bringing it. So first of all, to say we like any typical organisation, we have a set of policies. You know, we have an equality, diversity and inclusion policy. You know, there are still those underpinning points around the business that give us shape, that give us structure and that, you know, we all have um, to lean on. Um, So what is a let's say let's point to what's a little bit different. Those policies are developed and created by working groups. By employees, you know, that is an important part of how they are developed and created. But what I would also point to is we have a professional HR team. So we have those HR skills in the business that 
always feed into and obviously the the points that were raised by your um audience areas around you know some of the 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 hr you know matters that when you when you're working in an organization of 130 people that it's not going to be plain sailing you are going to you know have um challenges on your hands um so we make sure that we bring in the skills and the expertise that we need when you start to think about some of the employment law, some of the diversity and inclusion, and some of the more tricky things that, that any organization of our size is likely to face. What we would also say is that it isn't um, almost management-less. What we've come to recognize is how, what, uh, is how you manage the work rather than manage the people. So there's still management structures in place. You know, there's still mm-hmm. frameworks, there's still policies, but it's how you create them, how you shape them, how much people are involved in, as we say, building the kind of organisation that they want to work for. So that's probably what feels a bit different is not those issues go away and we will always recognize when you need a specialist and we make sure that like for example our coaches get additional training so that if somebody comes to them with some particular issues that might need a more specialist hr um support that they're signposted to the right places um so yeah i i don't hopefully mm. that answers the question but well i yeah. think it's yeah i think it's really important to pick on that management list structure being not a good description actually and it's it's easy to call it that but yeah it's it's in there but it's just being done differently we um, we we've come to call it scaffolding over the years mm, what we recognized yeah. is if you just like go free like free for all you know completely you know if that can cause stuckness in itself yeah, yeah. um and you know and some of your listeners might have come across things like liberating structures um which is a fantastic resource for um self-managing teams and organizations which you know provide you with some shape and some frameworks for how you can you know still you know get some good structures in place without kind of the typical um hierarchy and and bureaucracy that Mm. you know we know that there's there's a lot of um yeah difficulties with those one one thing i did say at the beginning that um the the unfortunate crisis that we hit with with the uh, pandemic because obviously you know you're in this self-managed so you don't know what it looked like within a different setup now because you're you're in it do you know that if when you've reflected on this, which I presume you might have done, yeah. how you manage that as an organisation compared to maybe more of a traditional hierarchical one? Yeah. Have you yeah. got thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, it, yeah, great question. Looking back, I would say I am so proud of how Maiden faced up to to the crisis. You're right. I was in, you know, very much in the the heart of Maiden at that time. And, you know, you pick up on what other organisations put out there about what they did and how they managed and Mm. and what have you. So over time, I guess we've been able to sort of see, well, how did we approach that compared to another organisation? But certainly in in the thick of it, um, you know, when those are initial, you are going to have to work from home and everything's going to be remote. That was where I think some of our self-managing principles really came to the fore. Already, most teams were completely able to work remotely without 
what we said without missing a stride, you know, because of the way we manage ourselves and the way we manage our work, everybody was able to, you know, retreat to their own homes, but still have really clear direction, know exactly what work needed to be delivered. Um, And one of the things that we were also able to do, um, because we serve the NHS in uh, mental health, a lot of that uh, work, obviously, you know, that's where the critical work is going on. That needed to move to remote, you know, it just as rapidly as the rest of, of, of the, the, you know, the country. And we were able to implement some really rapid changes to our software that enabled um, secure video links. And we were able to do that within a very short number of weeks. And I think a lot of that was to do with how devolved our decision making is across the teams. So I would point to that as a particular strength in terms of that particular crisis and our particular way of working. It did enable us to be very fleet of foot at that time. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, I can imagine. In fact, you know, it feels like you were that, like one step ahead because of not needing the command and control. It's hard to do, harder to do, isn't it, when there's that type of crisis going on? Yeah. Um, Right. So Robin Idelson, how do you work through interpersonal conflicts and deciding who is a leader or owner of a project if there isn't a dedicated hierarchy? Yeah. Yeah. Again, another great question. Thank you. So we've got uh, roles within the business. Um, I think we've you know connected with lots of other organisations that work similarly to ourselves, and we found this is a, a bit of a theme that you know as people move away from set job descriptions, um, it doesn't mean that there aren't still uh, recognisable roles within the business. So for us, some of those I could point to is something called product owner, um, and a product owner um, looks after a roadmap for the development of a product of a product. Um, And then something else you have is um, a scrum master. Now, a scrum master, I know it sounds like an odd term. It's very well recognized in um, agile. But the scrum master plays um, very much a team coach role and supports a team to figure out their processes, but also supports them in some of those interpersonal skills, if you like, because any team will, as we know, have lots of ups and downs, different personalities, face different pressures at different times. So there is a dedicated role that what we call holds the space for the team. They're not the team leader. They don't like call the shots or, you know, default to making the decisions. Their skill set is much more around mediation, coaching, you know, Mm -hmm. supporting teams to come to their own um, decisions. So I would say some of the roles that we have are really key in helping teams to figure out some of the interpersonal stuff. Um, In terms of leadership, what we say is everybody's got the potential to be a leader in a self-managing organization. It moves around. You know, it, it might be that in one project, you are leading that project. You are leading that piece of work because of your skills, because of your expertise. But in another project, you might be coordinating, a, you know, a particular piece of work or supporting others, or you might be the deliverer on a piece of work. So it's about, you know, recognizing, mm-hmm. you know, different um, skill sets in different areas and bringing those to the best, um, you know, to the best that that meets the needs of the business. And that helps grow that individual. So obviously, people are going through different career paths. So you encourage people to take some of those leadership opportunities as part of their growth and progression. 
And do you, do you find, because one of the things I notice is how to have a difficult conversation, acting on your observations about performance or anything yeah. is universally tricky. Like yes. that, that, some people get it and some people have practiced it, yeah. but it features in a lot of the work that I do. So yeah. do you find that it shows up a lot and it's about coaching and working through that or do you just have that situation where people don't look away from it? It certainly doesn't go, those challenges don't go away just because we work in the way that we work. People are people, you know, giving and receiving feedback is hard. And, you know, the, this, the, the, the research and the neuroscience is there. We know that it, it can feel threatening um, mm -hmm. at that sort of deep, you know, psychological level. Um, and just as any other organisation, we grapple with how do you give and receive feedback in constructive ways? You know, and we've tried various things um, along the years. We've tried having feedback week, you know, where you kind of everybody focuses on keeping the feedback flowing. We have stripped out formal appraisals. Um, yeah. So individuals need to figure out or, or, you know, within their teams, what feedback am I looking for? You know, how am I going to find and generate that? Um, what objectives am I setting for myself? And how do people know that that's what I'm working towards? So some people use um, Google Forms and they send it out to the people they want to get um, feedback from. Other people will manage that within their particular team setting. But one of the things that we build in and again I'm going to return to agile and it's one of those really key roots and principles for our self-managing way of working is every two weeks each team that's working in sprints has what they call a retrospective and yeah. that is their dedicated team time where they get to really have if they need to the difficult conversations um, and the scrum masters have that role of creating the safe space so that people can have those difficult conversations. And because generally they're working together quite long term as a team, they do get to know each other well. And, you know, we know that, that can, that's part of what can create a safe space. But then that can also build, you know, frustrations over time. So it's about being really switched on um, and providing that, you know, regular cadence of the safe space and the retrospective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and again, that HR team is there as the, the backstop, the advisors. So, you know, if a team is running into some really tricky issues and they're finding they're not able to solve it themselves, they're not going to be left to flounder. They've mm -hmm. got a set of support they can reach into, whether that's the HR specialist, whether that is their director, which, you know, any of the directors have what we call a residual line management duty. So, you know, if there's something that, you know, really a team have found they've reached a dead end on, they've got places that they can reach into to get support. Mm -hmm. We also encourage reaching out to coaches, um, you know, so that, you know, again, they've got that opportunity to figure the problems out for themselves and take the actions that they need to take. I think the word that comes to mind when I think about you and listening to you talk there is intentional. It's it's everything you do is intentional. Yeah. And that, like you said, doesn't mean that people aren't people and are, are going to encounter problems. But yeah. so often it, it can be that um, things get a little bit swept under the carpet or people aren't necessarily doing their jobs and it's not caught early enough and it all escalates. And I get a sense that, that it, it, there isn't much margin for 
for carpet for sweeping under the rug yeah i hope not and you know and we do as much as we can to make sure that things are brought to the table um and actually i would love to point to which i meant to mention earlier um when chris and ali were sort of talking about their misgivings of hierarchy this comes um to the what we've called our ethos which is around your beliefs about people at work you know people mm. show up generally with good intentions to work hard deliver well um, and to behave as adults you know that's you know one of our underlying assumptions is that people are adults and and they come to work to do a good job so generally if an organization sets the right environment for people to work well together they will work well together. And so that's it. It, it comes back to some, some, some of those sort of core ethos um, principles about your beliefs about people at work. Let me carry on with my question so I can get everybody done. So this is, comes from Ben Clark. Taking out a hierarchy looks like a potential step down in people's CVs. Obviously, I you only had three managers and it sounds like there's a big old success story with one with a, with a shift. So I'm not sure whether there was anyone else that felt like it was a step down. I don't think step down because once you sort of strip away hierarchy, you strip away the the ladder metaphor. So it's gone. You have to find a new way of thinking about growth and progression. Um, and what we say to people is we recognise when you when you go to the outside world, you know, beyond the maiden boundaries and you're at a conference or you're in a meeting, you know, with external or, you know, perhaps, you know, people move on and they're building their CVs. It's about use a job title that would make sense to your audience. So for me, when I'm going to a conference and I have to fill out a form so that I've got something on my badge so that people can make sense of who I am and what I do, I use uh, the term program manager. You know, mm -hmm. it sounds very hierarchical, but there's no people management in that whatsoever. But it makes sense to the outside world and it gives them a, mm. a sort of a hook to kind of, you know, place me roughly within, oh, what do you do yeah. at Maiden? Um, so we say to people, just use what you need to, other than you can't be the company director. You're not, you know, that's the one that, you know, that they're registered at company's house. You cannot call yourself a director, yeah. but if you need to call yourself something, then do. But what we do challenge people around is why do you need it internally? What's yeah. going on there? It's much more about growth and progression. You know, how are you delivering to, to your work, to your customer, to your team? Uh, worry not so much about fancy job titles. You know, think about impact. Think about, you know, how you want to grow in your career development and, you know, what you want to, you know, that value mm. that you want to deliver to your customers. Again, very pragmatic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I hope so. So this is from Rob Gilbert. So what interesting and surprising outcomes did you not foresee with this change? That's really... The reason I'm finding that question so interesting is we went into it intentionally, but we also went into it knowing that it would forever iterate. So something surprises us all the time yeah. because you're always pushing the boundary of where you're at 
So, you know, you might sometimes you might be surprised at how open people are to make the next steps. And then other times you're surprised by why did we bump into that big barrier? Mm. You know, we mm. we had a go at experimenting with some um, reward and recognition type work where we wanted to really lean into some um, peer uh, led rewards around bonuses mm. and how, you know, mm. how that was distributed. And one team boycotted it completely, said, no way, we are not going there. We will not do that. You know, that was amazing feedback, but it was surprising. So I would say it. there's continuous surprises, but all that does is that fuels the, right, well, what do we do next? How is that bubbling up the next challenge? I'm just trying to think of something a bit more tangible for the person that asked the, the question. So leave that one with me and I'll, I'll see if I can think of some more tangible examples. Less, less about what's surprising you. What, what, what did you bump up against? So you bumped up against implementation of some, I mean, you could imagine that, like the pay, incentives, yeah. didn't everybody bump up against that and you know it's a real tricky one to nail so what else did you bump up against that you thought not surprisingly but what what did you encounter that was a bit tricky probably in some of the earlier days um it was around yeah I think you pointed this already sort of that over attendance at workshops you know people were so interested in what was going on um that yeah you would find you have a working group of 20 people and actually you know that's as a bit unwieldy um but over time as it's become just a bit more embedded and a bit more this is the way that we do things that's naturally sort of evened itself out a bit yeah so almost that over over enthusiasm for Mm. it perhaps in the early stages um i would say decision making is um certainly a a tough nut to crack and one that we keep returning to um how do you get decision making right in an organization like like this um so i would say that's that's um yeah a, a continued source of um work that we do around our way of working yeah yeah now i can imagine what was the conclusion (laughs) Um, what what do you think what's the nugget underneath decision making what's the what's the key learning you've had through your iterations the key learning on decision making um clarity clarity oh my goodness it is be clear who is the decision maker um be clear what is the decision that you're trying to make it's incredible how what is probably the case for most decisions is they are a series of mini decisions. And also that in a self-managed organization or where you've got lots of distributed and devolved power and decision-making is there's maybe a number of people that influence, that you consult with. um, And actually now there is a growing body of resource out there to help you Uh, with decision making so that would be the other thing is don't try and figure this out completely Mm. on your own reach out for the resources that are there from places like corporate rebels reinventing work liberating structures there are things out there that can help you now that um and 
Frederick Laloux's reinventing work, the advice process. Mm. So much of what it comes down to is something called the advice process, which is actually inherently anybody can be the decision maker as long as they have consulted, taken the right advice. But we do also say question yourself at the very beginning. If you've not got the, the expertise, you know, you may have noticed the problem, but actually the decision lives with somebody else. So there's quite a lot of, um, yeah, figuring stuff mm. out in the beginning. But if there's anything I'd come back to, it would be clarity. Mm-mm. Nice insight there. And did, did people, I know we when I met with you, we talked about what happened as far as people leaving. Um, so if you could just share what happened as, you know, some people obviously, this wasn't the right environment for them when you made that shift. So what, what percentage do you think didn't uh, stick around? Yeah. So I think other, we can point to lots of examples of other organisations that have sort of been through this transition. And there is, it's quite recognised that there's about maybe 20%, I think is is a recognised um, figure. We probably did um, have some people that found this wasn't, you know, right for them. But what we have done all the way along is encourage open conversations. You know, we find actually the way of working because it evolves and iterates, the more you can hear from people, both inside the organization and from external, both supporters of the way you work and people like, you know, people who might be skeptical or more, Mm. um, you know, uh, doubtful about whether it can work, the more you can improve on how you work. We call, sometimes we call it like the grit in the oyster that makes the pearl you you don't want to be in an echo chamber in this you really need friends but you also need honest and you know critical friends people that can point and say what the heck is happening here or you know so you know it, we again we've talked about that a bit in our in the book in the journey is you know engage with anybody that that is willing to about what's working and what's not and keep those conversations going Brilliant. Yeah, I know. Absolutely love that. Bring in, bring in the dissent. We want yes. the dissenters. They're so important. And so many people don't want to hear it and don't find ways to include that, that voice. So yeah, sounds good. Yeah. So kind of getting close to wrapping up, like one thing that would be great, thinking about my community can be listening to this. I don't know that many of them are going to go, right, that's it. We are going down this road. I mean, it'd be lovely. And, it, and seriously, if anyone's listened to this and that's what they choose, let us know because yeah. we would love yeah. to hear. But it may be that there obviously are some real insights from your way of working, how pragmatic you are about it, that they can take back to their more traditional hierarchy. Um, what things do you think they could steal from you that would still work even though they've got a hierarchy. Right. Anybody is welcome to steal anything from us. We So first of all, let me say, if anybody is inspired by this podcast and they want to dig into anything that's come up in a bit more detail, you know, please, if they want to get in touch, really happy to do that. Or they could buy the book. Where, where will they find the book? What's the book called? Made Without Managers. Um, and it's a team of us at Maiden that that sort of penned this. So, um, yeah, that's that's very much there as a resource for anybody that's intrigued and interested. 
what I would say is, first of all, steal anything from us, but also don't steal anything from us because the starting point has to be your organization. So the first thing is look inside your company and get to know who you are, who are your employees, what are the things that are working well for them and not working well for them. You know, start with employee engagement. You know, that that would be kind of that first Port of call is, you know, be yeah, by all means be inspired by any organization that's doing things a bit differently, but don't necessarily think that it will translate into a different environment because each organization environment is so unique. But some of those things, probably the starting questions is about what are the underlying assumptions about people at work? How have I started to create an organization that's really true to what I want to an organization to be? I mean, if there's anything we would love to inspire people to do is to question anything that you're sleepwalking into. You know, mm. if you're sleepwalking into putting middle managers in place, have a think about what is it? What is it that you're actually wanting them to do? And would it be better suited to be done in a different way? And I think that's that's what we've done is we've allowed ourselves at regular intervals to almost step outside of ourselves and go, what's really working here? And unpack the things that aren't and keep, you know, sort of pressing on with the things that are put people at the centre, you know, make your decisions uh, and around the fact that it's human beings, you know, change the way that you think about organisations. Um, you know, that we're not machines. Um, you know, we're, we're forging new futures. You know, the, the way that society is working, the challenges that we're facing, you know, the organisations are going to have to rise up to meet around climate change. You know, we're going to have all of us have to find different ways to work. So it's just about, you know, being giving yourself a bit of space mm. to think about that. Yeah. Again, it's that mindful, being intentional, not yeah. sleepwalking. Absolutely. And, you know, having, you know, coaching, you know, people like yourselves that can give a slightly outside perspective, mm. but without trying to solve the problems. You know, the organisation will have its own answers. Each individual has its own answers. So it's about really thinking, how can I take a coaching approach? How can I put the people at the centre of what's going on here and what help and support might I need along the way? Lovely. What question have I not asked yeah that T either typically gets asked or is a really juicy question that I you think I should have asked um is it worth it yes is it easy no no <laughs> um, that's great yeah it it's been incredible to work in an organization that's opted for this approach and um you know we have been asked from time to time like how would you feel about going to work at a different organization and I I do ponder that from time to time mm. how would I feel about going back to having a traditional line manager mm. you know working in a hierarchy and I, you know, I'd seriously question, could I go back to something that looks more traditional? And I, I honestly don't know, because it has been so liberating and fulfilling to, you know, to work in this way in an organisation that so sort of wholeheartedly supports this. 
but it's not for the faint-hearted. You know, it, mm. there are some significant challenges in it, but you know, so far they have reaped great rewards for Maiden. But you know, we have growth ahead of us. We hope. You know, will some of those um, things that have worked for us so far still work in the future? You know, we we sort of step forward in each you know each growth phase, knowing that that's that that question in our minds. You know, is is we mm-hmm. we will iterate and we may have to change again. Uh, we will have to change again. Yeah, yeah, that is that is a guarantee, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Philippa. I really enjoyed that conversation, and I just love listening to you talking about all the challenges and all the all the fun stuff and um yeah i really really appreciate it oh thank you so much for asking me to take part i love having the chance to speak with you about this area and yeah really really appreciate the opportunity thank you for all your great questions and all the brilliant questions from your audience thank you Thanks for listening to the Visible Leader podcast. To stay up to date with the latest episode, hit the subscribe button. And I'd love to hear what you think, so please leave me a review. If you have any questions or comments, reach out to me, Corinne Hines on LinkedIn.